transmitting live from the top of the Empire State Building on 99.5 FM WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area, this is Trump Watch, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow, Pistachio, just unnatural, the dog is off sabbatical, rather watch an exigent, politician, politician, CNN and all Right now, the aftermath of Maria has contributed to a, a social meltdown. Um, suicide rates have gone up. Um, crime uh, is at the same level that it was before Maria, which is, was at a high level. Still about 30% of the population does not have any electricity. Uh, we have towns in the inner side of the island that have no electricity whatsoever. And, and, and the reconstruction and transformation of Puerto Rico does not seem to get off the ground. Uh, we have been granted $4.9 billion in a loan by the government of the United States. We haven't gotten one single cent of that loan. Uh, so we are looking at, uh, in the next months, a, a, a deepening of a social crisis that was there before Maria, but that definitely was widened and much more aggressive after Maria. That was Carmen Yulin Cruz, the mayor of Puerto Rico's capital city of San Juan, speaking earlier this month to Mehdi Hassan of Al Jazeera English about what she describes as the badly lagging federal disaster response in the U.S. territory. Next week, we'll pass the six-month mark since Hurricane Maria made landfall in Puerto Rico, Yet according to statistics currently posted on the Federal Emergency Management, or FEMA, website, one-fifth of the island is currently without power. And although the same FEMA chart lists fewer than 2% of Puerto Rico's residents as not having clean drinking water or functioning cell phone service, in an interview with Kerry Saldo of Massachusetts PBS affiliate station WGBY, Senator Elizabeth Warren pushed back against the accuracy of the agency's statistics. Saldo speaks first. Quick question about FEMA. FEMA has been looking at homes in Puerto Rico and considered many of them habitable, but there's a big question among the evacuee population here about how habitable is being defined. Do you have any sense of that? Yes, and in fact, I've been pushing back on FEMA. Because uh, they're saying, you know, you can return to your house that doesn't have a roof and has been exactly rained on right. Doesn't have a roof, doesn't have a secure door, doesn't have windows that don't leak, may not have a reliable power source, may not have clean water to it. So I have pushed, along with others in the Senate, trying to get FEMA to back off. And so far, FEMA has not yet come out with a definitive statement about what they're going to do on this. And boy, we're going to be in there pushing on. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. Tonight, we'll be examining one critical piece of the recovery effort in Puerto Rico, the pursuit of clean drinking water. According to my guest, Sarah Laskow, a senior writer at the online magazine Atlas Obscura, everything from the island's distinctive geology to its concentration of toxic Superfund sites has set the stage for the current difficulties with the island's water infrastructure. She wrote the March 5th article, The Hidden Problems with Puerto Rico's Water Supply, Hurricane Maria Exasperated Long-Term Issues, and Researchers Are Only Just Starting to Understand How. 
With the palace intrigue reaching new heights in recent weeks, with news items like the president's alleged affair with porn star Stormy Daniels to the procession of Trump appointees exiting the administration from the president's chief economic advisor, Gary Cohn, to Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, keeping the ongoing situation in Puerto Rico and President Trump's response to it off the front page of national newspapers and out of most major nightly news broadcasts, But one of the core goals of this show has always been to keep our focus trained on the tangible effects on people's lives resulting from the decisions made by the president and his staff. Tonight's show will be the first in a series of episodes we're planning, continuing to examine the situation in Puerto Rico as the recovery drags on, and increasingly more political pundits ask if the federal response to Maria will be historically viewed as a failure on the level of President George W. Bush's response to Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. So stay tuned for those shows on this show. So where is a more fundamental place to start in looking at the state of Puerto Rico today than the availability of safe drinking water, particularly in poorer parts of the island where residents can't afford to purchase bottled water on the scale required? Atlas Obscura senior writer Sarah Laskow studied the dire situation the island's water infrastructure was in before the storm and what the ramifications are for repairing it. For her March 5th article, The Hidden Problems with Puerto Rico's Water Supply, Hurricane Maria Exasperated Long-Term Issues, and Researchers Are Only Just Starting to Understand How. She joins me now live in the studio. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to WBAI. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, how's it going? From everyone you've spoken to for your article, uh, what is the sense you have of the current state of the water system in Puerto Rico? I think that part of the problem with the current state of the water supply is that there are still a ton of questions about how it's actually doing. You know, the, the state of the water wasn't great to begin with. And it's only been recently that people have started to be able to go out and do independent testing to verify some of what FEMA is saying about the water being clean and uh, available to people all across Puerto Rico. Right. As I mentioned in the in the intro, FEMA claims that less than two percent of the island doesn't currently have drinking water. Do you have a sense of whether those figures are accurate? I think that it's hard to say. Uh, Like I said, there hasn't been a lot of independent work to verify it. And um, when you talk to environmental groups like uh, the National Resources Defense Council, they've been asking for the tests and the information from both uh, state and federal authorities about the quality of the water. And they told me that they haven't been able to get a lot of that information. So while FEMA says that there's two per, uh, only 2% of people don't have water, there's not a lot of independent verification of that. And they can't get that information because it's not being made available to them or they haven't been able to uh, acquire the, the data from the field? They believe that the tests are happening, but um, they, the state authorities haven't made that data available. Um, there were some problems after the hurricane with just doing the testing at all. But at this point, um, people should be able to be going out and doing the tests that are required. It's just that that data hasn't necessarily been made public. Let's get into the main thrust of your article, which are some of the root causes of the water crisis currently in Puerto Rico following Hurricane Maria. 
You write that the geography of Puerto Rico makes the water supply particularly susceptible to contamination. Can you explain why that is? Yeah, so uh, much of Puerto Rico is on top of a karst system, which is um, a type of geology where uh, all sorts of rivulets and caves are are created underground by um, acid like acid rain, just the normal acid quality of rain uh, filtering through the limestone. And so basically you have this incredibly porous surface underground. That's a really great thing to create a water supply, but it also means that contaminants can really easily leach from the surface and from industrial activity down into the water. Another challenge to the island's water system that you mentioned in the article is the abundance of Superfund sites, 24 of them on the island. Do you have a sense of how much more prevalent these sites are in Puerto Rico as compared to the continental U.S.? And just to clarify for listeners unfamiliar with the term, a Superfund site is an area polluted by hazardous waste that the Environmental Protection Agency has declared poses a risk to human health or the environment. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how the concentration in Puerto Rico compares to the concentration elsewhere, but like certainly it's a high number of Superfund sites for a small area. And um, there's something troubling about some of the Superfund sites that you find in Puerto Rico. The way the sites work is that usually the EPA tries to figure out who's responsible for creating the pollution so that they can then get those people to pay to clean it up. But one of the Superfund sites um, that I looked at in the story No one even knows where the pollution comes from. They've known for decades that this um, source of water has these contaminants in it. There are contaminants that come from dry cleaning um, businesses and and industrial sources like that. But despite having tested for years and years, they can't even pinpoint where they're coming from. So that's hard to deal with, and it's also uh, not so typical. Do you have any sense of how rare that is for a Superfund site not to be pinpointed and why they can't seem to find who, who's causing it? I mean, most of the Superfund sites, they figure out who the uh, culpable parties are. Pretty quickly, right? Yeah, because, I mean, otherwise the government has to pay for the cleanup and the government doesn't want to pay for the cleanup. So they do a ton of work to figure out who um, the POPs are, the potentially responsible parties um, or PRPs. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's rare to find a Superfund site where you can have no idea who the source of the pollution can be attributed to. Any idea why that is? Oh, so in this case, it has to do with, um, in part, the nature of the geology on the island. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be one big polluter, you know, one factory or anything like that that's responsible for this pollution. It's more like people move in because this is an area with great resources, great water supply. It's near the coast. And then to start, you know, the normal businesses of human life and um, maybe there's not such good environmental regulation or, or um, to begin with or, or places for waste disposal. When you're on an island, there's very limited places where you can dispose of your waste to begin with. And so those contaminants just leach into the ground and they move very quickly from place to place so that you have no idea where they came from originally. And as if all of that wasn't enough, you mentioned some issues in the way that the water infrastructure in Puerto Rico has been built out. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, So before we're even talking about the hurricane, before we're talking about the destruction and the problems with water uh, supplies that came from that incident, the water system in Puerto Rico was already one of the worst in the country. 
um, NRDC did a study on this uh, last year, and they found that Puerto Rico had uh, the highest violations of any state or territory uh, that they looked at. And, you know, what that means is, first of all, the testing that's supposed to go on to confirm that the water is safe isn't happening. But they also found that um, even the results of the tests showed that many people in Puerto Rico, like 70%, I believe, uh, couldn't really uh, say that they had clean water. So this is all before the storm. Were there any local programs in effect uh, before the storm to cope with some of these challenges? I think that there are some local organizations who have been working on it, and there's certainly been some interest in updating the infrastructure. Um, But I I don't know about anything else beyond that. I'm speaking with Sarah Laskow, a senior writer at the online magazine Atlas Obscura. You're listening to Trump Watch on WBAI New York. I'm Jesse Lent. Back in January, FEMA officials pushed back hard on reports that they were leaving the island. Uh, Yet just today, the agency closed another disaster recovery center, this one in the town of Catano, according to the FEMA press office. What can you tell our listeners about the state of the FEMA response to the water distribution issue on the island? It's taken a really long time. I mean, one of the things that um, the both FEMA and the EPA worked on after the hurricane was going to these Superfund sites and checking to see uh, if there had been any spills or incidents that would um, have made the situation with the water quality even worse than it was. Now, at this point, they say that they have visited them all and that they didn't you know, find any really worrisome extra spills or anything like that. But that uh, survey was only completed very recently. So, you know, the island went for months with, you know, potentially environmental disasters happening and no one monitoring them or knowing about them. Um, I mean, you imagine that if there had been something really bad, someone would have figured out about it. But on the other hand, like it was hard to get around and no one was even there checking in an official capacity that these very polluted sites uh, weren't you know, leaking all over the place after the storm. Do you get any sense of how long it will be before we have that kind of data? I, I think it's hard to say. And, you know, with this EPA in particular, the data has been so hard to come by. They've been very reluctant to release any information. And so, you know, while they say that the um, while they say that these sites uh, are, are OK and haven't you know created any additional damage, um, it's, it's hard to think we're going to get any more information about that than this very brief statement, which, you know, I only found that by digging around and uh, found like a sub-sub-EPA site where it was listed. Right. You know, at, at the top of the show, we played the clip from Carmen Yulin Cruz, the, the mayor of San Juan. And later on in that interview, she mentioned how FEMA and the U.S. government had attempted to silence her as someone who is contradicting the happy face, her words, not mine, that the administration was attempting to put on the Puerto Rican, uh, the the relief effort in Puerto Rico. Um, Do you get the sense that this withholding of data or the dragging uh, of feet that this would be FEMA is doing or the EPA is doing with with this data? Do you get a sense that this is uh, a similar effort to keep the happy face intact? I I think it's hard to say. And, you know, with this EPA in particular, 
the data has been so hard to come by. They've been very reluctant to release any information. And so, you know, while they say that the um, while they say that these sites uh, are are okay and haven't you know created any additional damage, um, it's it's hard to think we're going to get any more information about that than this very brief statement, which. You know, I only found that by digging around and uh, found like a sub sub EPA site where it was listed. Are there any obvious things that FEMA is doing or not doing to respond to the crisis, especially on the water end? that you think should change. One thing I've just observed, and I have no idea if there's any merit to this, but the amount of bottled water being sent to the island seems strange when we have, you know, those things like life straws that can convert undrinkable water to drinkable water. Yeah, I mean, water and hurricane response is strange to begin with. You know, like you see this a lot in hurricane response. You saw it after Hurricane Katrina. It's like often not even a, a fully federal effort, but a, a partnership with private companies where um, you just get tons of bottled water um, being brought in. You know, like um, on the one hand, like you can commend these companies for their effort. It's obviously like a PR thing for them as well. But you have like big beer companies that will roll over some of their plants and um, create cans of water that then get sent to the disaster areas. And if you go to New Orleans, you can still find people who have those cans of waters that they've kept as souvenirs. It doesn't totally make sense from like a resource perspective or an environmental perspective, but like that's how we've been doing it for a really long time. And, you know, um, there is, whenever you're uh, sourcing, uh, you know, these sorts of supplies in disaster response, they get, you, you get into a very strange place. Like it, it's, it's a, um, it's one of those things where it's not always efficient and you're not always using the thing that makes sense. People have tons of ideas about like the weird sort of supplies you should be bringing into disaster areas. There's a whole industry around it. And so, you know, often you get um, solutions that might not be the best solution. One main point of your article is that the chemicals that have leached into the water supply, possibly as a result of Hurricane Maria, may not be initially detectable. Can you explain why that is and what the worst case scenario researchers are fearing about what these contaminants could do to the water supply? Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is that, um, like I said before, the testing wasn't able to start right after the hurricane. Um, so, you know, one of the researchers I talked to has studied contamination and been studying contamination in the water supply for many, many years and already had an ongoing program where they were testing water in conjunction with a study about long-term health effects of, of the contaminants there. Um, they wanted to go out and start testing as soon as they could. But in the weeks after the hurricane, you know, the roads were down. They said FEMA, you know, commandeered their cars and they couldn't even go out to the sites where they wanted to test the water. Then once they could actually reach the sites, um, the water infrastructure wasn't in a state that they could necessarily get samples of the water. Um, so there were a few weeks in there where, um, you know, there, there could have been contaminants going in from all this flooding and things like that. And no one was even really measuring to see how, what the difference was from the basic not so great state. What do you mean FEMA commandeered their cars? I don't know exactly. That's what um, this woman mentioned, that they, they didn't have access to their cars. Wow. Um, so, 
I probably should have asked her more about it. But, you know, essentially they couldn't get around. Um, and then, you know, now that they, now they've started testing, I think there are, are a few research organizations that are working to start monitoring test and testing the water. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a limit to how much you can test. There's a limit to what you can test for. Um, so, you know, researchers have to focus on the things that maybe they have data fr uh, about from before the hurricane so they can compare and get an actual sense of, of how things have changed. Or it's just too expensive to test for every possible contaminant. Or, you know, maybe the place where you're sampling from, like there was a contaminant that passed through or something like that. So you, you know, one researcher I talked to mentioned that, you know, you might not, even if you're sampling, you might not catch every problem. And so just getting the information to find out like what's really going on with the water in Puerto Rico is a challenge. And then on top of that, some of these chemicals, you're not going to, you know, see the impacts of them right away. You're not going to see people like throwing up and getting poisoned and like obviously um, having problems, but if they're in the water over time, they can lead to long-term health problems. So I think that's really the fear that, you know, there's, there could be these hidden dangers in the water that we won't know about for a long time to come. You write that the EPA has reported that there were no major spills in Puerto Rico associated with the storm. How confident were the researchers you spoke to in this assessment? Uh, I didn't talk to anyone specifically about that. Um, I think that, you know, whether or not there were spills, like the, there is this worry about the long-term contamination. We know the situation was bad to begin with. It's hard to imagine that having the whole island in shambles and flooding everywhere is going to make it any better. Um, like I was talking about before, this is sort of a geology where things seep in and then they stay there. And you know, like as the hurricane came through and there was flooding everywhere that picks up gas, that picks up the crap from the road, that picks up, you know, uh, all these, uh, you know, farm chemicals, all these things that aren't normally necessarily getting into the water were picked up and potentially got into the water supply. One fear that I've heard some Puerto Ricans express is the idea of privatization on the island or corporate interests swooping in and using the tragedy to make money like you touched on briefly before. What do you know about this struggle and how it could affect efforts to correct Puerto Rico's water system? Yeah, I mean, I think that after any hurricane um, of this magnitude, um, people see the place that was damaged as a blank slate. I mean, we saw that in New Orleans after Katrina on a totally different um, piece, piece of life, but like the education system was totally transformed because people from outside saw this as a, a time and a place to take their ideas and use this like blank slate, quote unquote, as an experiment. And so I think that that's a really reasonable worry for people in Puerto Rico to have at this point. You know, we already see a lot of companies interested to come in and to try out their ideas. And some of those could certainly be beneficial or beneficial in some way. But it's, um, yeah, it's always worrisome to see people coming in from the outside with ideas to a place that, you know, they don't understand the history of and want to use as a platform for their own ideas.
Puerto Rico has received little coverage in recent months outside Spanish language and independent media in the U.S. Why do you think that is? Is it just the avalanche of potential scandals I mentioned before that has kept these issues there, uh, kept, kept Puerto Rico off the front page? Or is it something else as well? I think it's just that people feel like they understood what was going on. And, you know, now a lot of the media has moved on. Um, you know, when I started looking into this question about the water, I, I expected that there would be plenty of coverage of it, but all of it was pretty dated, you know, going back mostly to October. A couple of people had followed up maybe in January, but for the most part, like this is now in the past as far as the media goes, and there's not a lot of attention to what happens in the long term. I think, again, you see that off often after disasters, you know, people rush in, they want to talk about the terrible thing that happened. There are all these touching stories of survival and like that's all great. And, and that attention should be played, paid to these places. But disaster recovery is a really long process. And, you know, both in you know the nonprofit sector and in the media, we need to be paying attention to it probably for years to come. Like these stories in Puerto Rico are going to last for years. Thank you so much. I've been speaking to Sarah Laskow, a senior writer at the online magazine Atlas Obscura. She wrote the March 5th article, The Hidden Problems with Puerto Rico's Water Supply, Hurricane Maria, Exasperated Long-Term Issues, and Researchers Are Only Just Starting to Understand How. You're listening to Trump Watch with Jesse Lent on WBAI New York. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 61 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen in iTunes or the Apple Podcast app, please consider giving us a rating or a review. It goes a long way to helping other people find this show. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is trumpwatchwbai. And I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time.